I'm going to ask you to join me in standing this morning, and let's uh, pray as we look into God's Word. Thank Him for the time that we have to share together this morning. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you this morning, and we are so grateful for all that you've done for us in Christ. Father, we thank you as we come and as we celebrate the beginning of this holy week, how it began in triumph for Jesus, but ended in tragedy. Father, how quickly things changed during that one week. And Father, most of us can relate with weeks that begin well and then end bad. Oftentimes, we don't expect the news that we'll receive during the course of a week. And yet, Father, we know that you want to be with us and walk with us through all of that. So, Father, this morning, I pray that as we look into your word and as we reflect on the suffering of Jesus and all that he endured on our behalf, that it would encourage us to bear our suffering in a way that looks beyond it to the future that you have created for us and provided for us. Father, again, we thank you so much for who you are, for what you do, and we pray that your word would speak to us. We pray that the Holy Spirit would energize it in our lives in our hearts, in our minds, and that, Father, you would provide the comfort that only you can provide. Father, again, we pray that we would be attentive to your spirit, that we'd hear what he has to say to us this morning, and that we would respond in a way that truly glorifies you. And we'll thank you for all of that in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Well, Marvin Ash was at St. Agnes Hospital in Fresno, California, comforting his wife, who was recovering from a life-threatening liver and kidney surgery, during which she'd had some pretty severe complications. And so he was there at her bedside in the intensive care unit at St. Agnes Hospital, caring for her, just being with her. She was in much pain and was just kind of regaining consciousness when a nurse came in, and said, there is a phone call for you, Mr. Ash, at the nurse's station down the hall. You need to take it. It sounds like it's pretty serious. And so he kissed his wife goodbye and ran down to the nurse's station down the hall to accept this call. On the other end of the phone was the Nebraska State Patrol. And they informed him that his 28-year-old daughter, Nikki, had just been killed in a freak motorcycle accident. As he stood there with the phone to his ear in disbelief, hearing this news about his 28-year-old daughter, a nurse came running back down to the nurse's station where he was on the phone and said, Come quick, your wife has just coded. And by the time he got back to the hospital room where she was, she was gone. She had died. Within a matter of 20 minutes, Marvin Ash lost his wife and his 28-year-old daughter. Just three days later, he buried them both in a double funeral. And the newspapers that were there covering this incredible tragedy and suffering interviewed him a couple of days after the funeral and said, how how does anyone survive something like this? How can you deal with this? And he said, you know, I don't know if I will. The, The suffering and the sorrow is absolutely devastating. You know, I think one of the things that is most difficult for us in life to deal with is the absolutely senseless suffering that we have to endure as human beings who live in a fallen world, a world tainted by sin. 
I mean, there's absolutely no way, even as Christians, we can make sense of such random kinds of suffering. It just is not a good thing. It is evil. It is terrible. It is painful. And it's unjustifiable. And yet, as human beings, we still must move on. We've still got to endure. And all you have to do is read the paper any day of the week or watch a newscast any night of the week to see the suffering that just permeates our world. Whether it's innocent children that are being slaughtered in our public schools. They make their lunches, their moms and dads kiss them goodbye, they get on the school bus to go to school, and before they ever can come home, someone comes in, and there's a shooting of some sort, and innocent children lay dead on a schoolroom floor. Senseless. Absolutely no way to make sense of those kinds of things that happen. Just recently here in Minnesota, three people in their home one evening and people break in looking for drugs and all three of them are dead, were killed senselessly and just buried this last weekend. Just terrible things that happen. I think of the auto accidents I read about where young teenagers in the prime of life, just beginning their lives, some of them just preparing to graduate from high school, are just killed instantly in car accidents by a drunk driver or by their own senseless drunk driving. It's tragic. And then you think about the natural disasters that strike. All over the world, just recently, a, a rash of tornadoes through the, through the Midwest who just, you know, that just randomly kill people and leave them homeless. We think about people all over the world and the suffering. And then there are the diseases that ravage our bodies like cancer and so many other diseases. Just in the past couple of weeks, we've heard of uh, Elizabeth Edwards, who's now got a recurrence of cancer that doesn't look good for her. And then just a week after commenting on her cancer himself, Tony Snow, the, the president's spokesperson, was stricken again with cancer that's now spread to his liver and to his abdomen and other places. And it doesn't look good for him as well. And Sometimes the suffering can just be overwhelming, particularly when we find ourselves suffering and then we witness the suffering of the world around us and people that we love and that we care for. And when we're confronted by such a flood of suffering, sometimes it's easy, even for us as believers, to lose heart. Sometimes we really wonder, is God really there Does he really love us like he says he loves us? And if he loves us, is he powerful enough to prevent some of this senseless suffering? And if he doesn't, and he isn't powerful enough to prevent it, does he really love us? And we just get into this kind of conundrum wondering, what is going on? Why do we have to endure this? And the reality is, we live in a world that has been tainted by sin. We live in a fallen world. But as believers, we don't have to allow our suffering to define us and to mark us and to cause us to lose hope and to lose faith. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that we have been marked by the resurrection of Christ, we can move beyond our suffering and a sense of hopelessness and chaos and senselessness. And we can find joy and hope for the future in spite of our suffering. Am I suggesting that when we experience suffering, we just kind of like whistle in the dark and pretend it isn't happening or or try to ignore it or explain it away with Christian platitudes? Oh, praise the Lord. 
Absolutely not. I think it's vital that we embrace the suffering, that we understand it, that we experience it fully in a sense. But then not allow it to end there and we allow ourselves to move beyond our suffering even while in the midst of enduring it. And the only way we as human beings can do that is through Jesus Christ and his resurrection. And this morning on Palm Sunday, I want us to consider uh, how that's possible. How can we actually be confronted by such suffering and sorrow in all of its senselessness? And yet at the same time, maintain a hope and a zeal and yes, even joy in the midst of our suffering. I want us to see this morning that because of the resurrection of Christ, we can move beyond the pain and the sorrow of suffering, suffering because Jesus rose bodily from the grave. I'd like to suggest two ways that we can move beyond suffering. And I'd like you to turn with me this morning to Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Because I think in these verses it shares two ways that we can not only endure the suffering that comes our way, that's an inevitable part of living in a fallen sinful world, and actually triumphantly move beyond that suffering to a different place, a different state of mind and experience. And so I want you to follow along this morning as I read Hebrews chapter 10, verses 31, 32 through 39. We'll be looking at some other scriptures as we go, but this is kind of the core of the scripture that I want us to look at this morning. Now listen to what the author to the Hebrews says here, beginning in verse 32. He says to them, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. So do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. Now, it's interesting for us to understand here the context of these verses. It's written to Hebrew Christians who've been dispersed away from their homes, who are suffering incredible persecution. They're losing their families. They're losing their homes. They're losing their jobs and their employment and everything that they own. And many of them are being just terribly physically persecuted. Some of these Christians were being lit on fire while still alive to light some of the gardens of the Roman Empire, uh, the Roman Emperor. I mean, the suffering that they were required to endure was unimaginable to us living today. And their only crime, 
The only reason they were required to suffer so needlessly was because they believed in Jesus Christ and refused to recant their faith. They refused to turn away from Jesus. But after all of that suffering, it just kept going on and on and relentless. Even the most faithful people become weary and tired and say, when is it going to end? Will it ever end? Is there really anything beyond this suffering? And so the author to the Hebrew writes to remind them that, yes, don't lose heart. Continue to willingly and joyfully endure your suffering because there is something beyond. And you need to focus on what's beyond, not just the here and now. And so the first way, the first way that we can move beyond our suffering, according to these verses, is because the resurrection provides an eternal hope for those who suffer. The resurrection of Jesus provides an eternal hope for those who suffer. Now, the reality is, from our perspective, this side of eternity, if that's all we've got, and if we take eternity and spirituality and God and all those things out of the picture, and if we're just looking at suffering in the here and now, this side of eternity, it is absolutely pointless, it's senseless, and as Paul said in, in another place in 1 Corinthians 13, we are, 1 Corinthians 12, we should just you know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And there have many, been many people down through history who've approached their suffering and the world with that perspective. That kind of nihilism, that there's nothing out there besides this physical, material world. And when suffering hits, oftentimes they just opt to end their own life because it is so pointless. In fact, when I was in college, there was a song that could have been the anthem for this kind of view of just, just seeing everything from this material, uh, kind of earthly perspective. It was by a band named Kansas. And the song was entitled Dust in the Wind. And part of that song says, all we are is dust in the wind. All we do crumbles to the ground, though we refuse to see. Kind of that living in denial, whistling in the dark. Don't hang on. Nothing lasts forever but the earth and sky. Everything is just dust in the wind. Don't hang on. Just give up. Just sink into your self-pity, into the pain, into the suffering, because that's all there is. End it. But see, that is not the perspective that we have as Christ followers who've been marked by the resurrection. Now, I've got to tell you, if that is your perspective, then it all is pointless. You're never going to move beyond your suffering. You're never going to be able to endure it. You'll probably just end it because that is a very fatalistic kind of perspective. But that's not what the Bible says. Look again at verses 32 through 34. He says, think back on those early days when you first learned about Christ. Remember how you remained faithful, even though it meant terrible suffering. Sometimes you were exposed to public ridicule and were beaten. And sometimes you helped others who were suffering the same things. You suffered along with those who were thrown into jail. And when all you owned, think about that. When all you owned, everything, home, possessions, money, oftentimes even children and family, when everything you had was taken from you, you accepted it with joy. You knew there were better things waiting for you that will last forever. I mean, how were these believers in, 
and able to endure that kind of unjust suffering? How were they able to accept the loss of everything with joy? The author says because they knew there was something better waiting for them ahead. Let me ask you, is that our perspective as Christians today? Do we really believe in the unseen world that we preach about and teach about and read about? Or have we been so sucked in to our culture and this physical material world? Are we so focused on the things that we can see and touch and feel and smell that we have truly lost touch with the reality that this is not Ultimate reality, that ultimate reality is that world that we can't see and everything we see here and now will one day be burned. You see, it's not us who will burn and die like the song Kansas sings. It's the world that will be destroyed. We are the ones that will live forever. In fact, turn with me to Second Corinthians chapter four. Second Corinthians chapter four, verse 16. Because Paul speaks of this in these verses. Second Corinthians four, beginning of verse 16, Paul says, that is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day for our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Now, that's powerful stuff when you think about it. When you think about the reality, because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the fact that he was killed and buried and in the grave three days, and then by the power of God, he rose, burst out of that grave, and then later ascended physically into heaven, a whole new world is opened up to us. It proved that this physical life is not all there is for us and that we will live even if we die. And we will live in a place of perfection that God has created just for us. It'll be like returning to Eden, just like God always intended us to live in absolute paradise. And I don't think we're just going to be floating around on white, fluffy clouds strumming harps. We're not going to be disembodied spirits that are just moving and floating around. We will have glorified bodies just like the body of Jesus that is right now seated at the right hand of God the Father, still bearing the scars of the cross. And he will bodily return again to take us with him. And we will forever be with him in those glorified bodies, experiencing the bliss and perfection of paradise forever and ever and ever and ever. Now, I want you to think about the best vacation you've ever had in your life. Think about the most beautiful place on planet Earth that you've ever been. I think about this place in Ireland called Glendalough. 
And it's a beautiful lake and there's these craggy mountains that come down and there's this beautiful lake that almost seems like it goes back into infinity and these craggy mountains. And there's just this bright Irish green that covers the tops of those hills. And I sat there and thought, I mean, this is like paradise. If I could never move from this spot and just absorb this forever, I mean, it's like you just can't get enough of it. I mean, think about the majestic places you've been and seen. The beautiful tropical sunsets. And then think that heaven is going to put them all to shame. Because all of that is tainted by sin. But where we're going and the world that God is creating for us will be absolutely perfect. But I think sometimes we get so locked into this world. We get so trapped by the possessions and the material things and the troubles and the pain and the sorrow and the suffering that it's often hard for us to raise our eyes above it all to realize that this is just the very, very beginning for us. I mean, 80 or 90 or 100 years in this time, I mean, it's just not even a drop in the bucket. It's not even a nanosecond in the span of our eternal existence. Because of the resurrection of Christ, we can move beyond our suffering. In fact, like the Hebrew Christians, we can accept it with joy, knowing that this is not it. Yes, it's terrible. Yes, it's painful. Yes, it's sorrowful to watch a loved one die like I have had to watch. It's unjust. It's not right. But most of what we experience in this world is unjust and isn't right. But God will make it all right one day when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is the Lord of Lords and that he has provided eternity for all of us. I'll never forget reading the first time the story of John Huss, one of the great uh, fathers of the church. In 1415, he was arrested for his faith. He was convicted And he was sentenced to die by being burned alive at the stake. And as John Huss was led to the town center, they put the stake up and they began to pile the wood around him. He was had to stand on some rocks so that everyone could see him because a big crowd gathered to watch him burn alive for his faith. And they then leaned the kindling wood up and they doused it with oil. And then they lit the flames as he was chained to the stake. And as John Huss was being burned alive, he immediately broke out in a hymn of faith so loud and so joyous that everyone who gathered to watch him burn could hear him singing above the crackling of the flames. And the crowd was amazed that this man, until he didn't have breath, continued to sing joyous hymns of faith to God. As he was losing his physical life. Man, that's the kind of faith I want. That's what I want to live like. I want to live recklessly in this world, knowing that there's not anything or anyone that can keep me from doing what God has called me to do. And regardless of the suffering or the pain or the sorrow, though it will be terrible, that I do have a hope that's beyond this life in this world. And we all do. Because we've been marked by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we need to ask ourselves, do we truly believe that? Do you believe that this morning? I mean, all of us are just 
you know, a doctor's visit away or a car ride away from a major tragedy in our own lives. I mean, let's just face it. All of us, our lives are going to end at some point. It's just a matter of how and when. Are we ready for that? Are we living in the eternal now? Recognizing that there is so much more and so much better for us as followers of Christ. But there's a second way. And that is the resurrection provides not only an eternal hope, but the resurrection provides eternal reward for those who suffer with Christ. Look again at verses 35 through 39. The author says, so do not throw away this confident trust in the Lord. Remember the great reward it brings you. Patient endurance is what you need now so that you will continue to do God's will. Then you will receive all that he has promised. For in just a little while, the coming one will come and not delay. And my righteous ones will live by faith. But I will take no pleasure in anyone who turns away. But we are not like those who turn away from God to their own destruction. We are the faithful ones whose souls will be saved. The writer to the Hebrews says that there is great reward for us in enduring our suffering. Because when we endure unjust, senseless suffering in this life, we are truly sharing in the sufferings of Christ. We are in solidarity with Jesus because Jesus suffered senselessly and needlessly. He didn't deserve anything that he received. He certainly didn't deserve to be crucified and die a humiliating criminal's death. I mean, God in human flesh. And yet he willingly endured it. And the thing that's different for Jesus is he could have escaped the suffering. He could have called down legions of angels on the cross to remove him and take him away. He could have just spoke like he created the universe and and, and spoke the suffering away, but he didn't. He willingly endured it with because of the joy set before him. Because he knew his suffering was going to save all of us sitting here today and the billions and billions of people that have been on planet Earth. Jesus knew that. His enduring suffering for that brief period of time would provide eternal salvation and life for billions of his creation. And so he endured it for the joy set before him. And because he endured that suffering, he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. His name is above every name that can be spoken. He is the highest authority and one day he will reign again. See, there is eternal reward for those of us who suffer because we're suffering with Christ. In fact, in first in in, uh, first Peter chapter four, beginning in verse 12, you don't have to turn there. But listen to what Peter says to another group of Christians who were suffering unjustly. Peter says, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you're going through as if something strange was happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it is revealed to all the world. Some scripture translations there say not just see his glory, but share in his glory when he comes and all the world sees. 
By sharing in the sufferings of Christ, we will share in the glory and the reward of Christ. And that will be an incredible day when we see him face to face. And we have patiently and joyfully endured, keeping our focus above. And then that day when he appears in all of his glory, we will share in that glory just as we've shared in his suffering. And I know it's, it's very difficult for us as Christians to, I think, sometimes even comprehend this whole idea of suffering and bearing suffering joyously. Because in America, we really don't know that much about suffering unjustly. I mean, most of us didn't have to endure, let's say, the Nazi concentration camps and people who were just ripped from their homes and families split up and taken to these terrible places. We haven't had to experience the kind of famine and the kind of disease in Darfur and Sudan and all of these places where families are dying daily for the lack of fresh water and others. We just don't know that kind of suffering. But we do know the suffering and pain of the loss of a loved one or the betrayal of a spouse that we dearly love. Or the rebellion of a child who gets themselves in serious trouble and the pain and the suffering and the anguish that comes with that. And the diagnosis of of cancer or some other disease that's going to ravage our body or the body of someone we love. We know about that kind of suffering. And it isn't fair and it is unjust. But we need to be reminded that because of the resurrection of Christ... If we will allow that to truly mark us and if we will patiently endure that suffering with our eyes set on Jesus, then one day we will share in his reward. We will be rewarded because we've kept our eyes focused on him. You know, you think about people in this life that have experienced that kind of suffering. I always, uh, when I think of this, think of uh, Johnny Erickson. You know, who a young, vibrant woman dives into a lake with her friends having a great time and hits her head on a rock and breaks her neck and spends the rest of her life as a paraplegic. I mean, I think of people like Christopher Reeve and others who have experienced just terrible tragedies in their life. And yet, Johnny Erickson, very seldom have I ever seen her with a frown or talking about how rough her life is. Just always bubbling over with joy, has written dozens of books. And because she has patiently endured her suffering, rather than, let's say, taking her own life and ending her suffering, thousands and thousands of people are in the kingdom of God today because... She has patiently endured. I'm sure that if she hadn't experienced the suffering that she has, she would not have had near the impact. But that's how it was planned. And she has endured and she will be rewarded. And we never know how that reward will come. Sometimes I think it will even come partially in this life as we see our enduring suffering impacting other people positively. I also think of a family, the Bernal family, whose daughter Cassie, 16 years old, was murdered at Columbine High School. When the, when the, the killers came to her and asked her if she believed in God, and she said yes, and they shot her dead right there. Can you imagine the senselessness, the tragedy of that as parents, the, the agony of having a beautiful young daughter killed like that, and yet as Christians... They gathered their faith. They trusted in God. And Misty Bernal, Cassie's mother, wrote a book entitled She Said Yes. And it's taken that book and the message of hope in Christ all over the country. And thousands of teenagers have found hope in Christ. 
because she said yes. And because that family didn't allow their pain and suffering to bury them. But they've been able to move beyond. And they will also share in that eternal reward. You see, we need to realize that when we keep our eyes on Christ and patiently endure our suffering, whatever it might be, God will provide eternal reward. Sometimes that reward might even be realized partially in this life as other people are impacted. But we will definitely share in Christ's glory in eternity. You know, this morning, in a few moments, we're going to be receiving communion. And it's these elements of the bread and the cup that serve as tangible reminders to us, not only of the suffering that Christ endured at the end of this Easter week, but just as important, they tangibly remind us of his victory over suffering. In fact, when Jesus instituted this memorial, he he took the bread and the cup and he gave it to his disciples to handle and to hold And said, do this in remembrance of me. And then he said, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine again until I drink it with you new in my father's kingdom. We will be reunited. And then the promise will become reality as we celebrate that reunion and that experience of going back to Eden, in a sense, and being reunited with God and living as we were intended You know, if you're here this morning and you're experiencing some form of suffering or a difficult time, maybe it's disease, maybe it's relationship, maybe it's financial hardship, maybe it's something with your employment and it's really got you down. And and sometimes we just start focusing so much on the circumstances and we just kind of allow ourselves to get in this downward emotional spiral. Let me encourage you this morning when the elements are passed out, really Take those elements and feel them and hold them. Recognize that the bread and the cup that you hold this morning are physical down payments on the promise that Jesus has made. That we will live even if we die. And that we will spend an eternity with him. And that even in the midst of our suffering, we can not only survive, but we can thrive with joy. And hope and purpose because our eyes are set on eternity. You know, if Christianity is really true as we say it is, it will really be proven in the way all of us endure and deal with unjust, senseless suffering. Allow communion to remind you again this morning of the essential truths that can enable us to move beyond our suffering with hope and joy. Because we've been marked by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, many of us here this morning may be hurting. Many of us may be in the midst of suffering, experiencing grief, pain. Father, maybe even a sense of hopelessness. Father, I pray that in a supernatural way, you will break through our suffering and our hopelessness as we handle the bread, the body of Jesus Christ, the bread of life, a symbol and reminder of that. As we handle the cup that contains the juice that reminds us of the blood that sealed his promise for eternity. 
Father, I pray that you would enable us to just raise our eyes from our own circumstances, not ignore them, not discount them, not try to practice some kind of mind over matter, but Father, in the midst of it all, to rise above and beyond because of the hope we have in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, make it so. Allow us to find joy in the reality of your eternal truth. We pray and we'll give you great thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.